0: No Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. Our guest this week is a photographer with a recent spread in Racket Magazine, he's a YouTuber with over 160,000, I think, subscribers on his YouTube channel currently. In the world of audio, he released two new music tracks on his SoundCloud this month and is the host of a podcast, of Greek Abroad. He's also, in his spare time, currently the number six player in the world in the ATP rankings, 2019 ATP Finals champion. He is Stefanos Tsitsipas, live from his hotel room in Melbourne. Stef, thank you for being here. Hello, Ben, thank you for having me. So you have a couple days left in this hotel quarantine you're in now. I think you were at like day 12 or day 13 or something. How's it, Ben, how's it going? I lost struck all the time. I don't even know what day it is anymore. <laughs> uh, it's
1: uh, Yeah, we're getting there, we're getting close. I think it's one or two days left until the end. But uh, I've handled it pretty well. I honestly can't complain. I managed the food very well, I've been eating well, taking care of my body. I'm here with my physio Jerome. We're having nice chats, nice uh lunch and dinners together. So we're we we find ways to pass our time. I'm I'm very grateful that I have a good Wi-Fi connection in my room because that occupies lots of my time. Yeah. Just creating stuff. Anything digitally, just creating. Whenever I'm not practicing, I'm yeah, in my room trying to create some music, maybe like edit some some vlog or i don't know what else could i do (laughs) like maybe i'm thinking of a podcast soon but uh yeah i'm trying to find the right uh right content for the podcast so stuff like this
0: yeah I, i did an interview with uh naomi osaka like first time i ever talked to her like five years ago at the australian open and she described herself back then as being a child of the internet and, and she was she like, grew up being online all the time. And I feel like I think of you in a lot of the same way, like you've been ever since your beginnings, I didn't mention this in your intro of your, you know, accomplishments or whatever, but way back before that, you had a, a Facebook tennis news page, you know, tennis core ITN. What, what makes you like making things on the internet so much and just creating things when, how, where did that, where does that come from? You think in, in your life, it's obviously something that's occupied in different mediums. It's occupied a lot of your creative energy and, and output for, for a long time now. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, I come from a place that is very, I would say, underestimated. I come from a very beautiful touristic place called vuli in the southwest uh, suburbs of Athens. And not many people know about this place, but it's a very touristic uh, and an attractive spot for tourists. Not very well-known worldwide, for example, like Bali or um what else uh, like uh cape town would be a very known place for mm-hmm. pe- tourists and maybe like miami or uh, uh machu picchu places like this mm-hmm. but i honestly think that it's just the, the place i grew up uh, didn't really have much exposure of what it actually deserves to and i always tried from a young age to that also let after school i would spend times uh, on the internet browsing the internet and um but that was the early days of Facebook. So uh, I was really interested in tennis back then. I used to watch a lot of tennis, watch a lot of Roger, Rafa and Novak in his early days. That led to the creation of my uh, my tennis uh, page on Facebook, which I was very interested in and was very committed and uh, up- uh, uploaded regularly, wrote articles, posted photos, did photo albums of each ATP tournaments. So I was really into it. And uh, also, that gave me opportunity to, to learn a lot about tennis, about the sport itself, history. I did a lot of research and wrote uh, articles uh, based on the history, and the origin of the sport, and uh, fun facts. So I I really liked stuff like this, and it took pretty much uh, lots of my time. And the Bolivian part, the place where I come from, it's you know, <laughs> my mom used to like swim a lot, and I liked it too, but I would some sometimes rather just prefer to be at home and do my thing. Um, yeah. you know, write yeah. and do research on tennis and uh, spend my time just trying to figure it out how I can create stuff on the internet because I, I felt back then that I was really that we were like digging into the future. The internet was was the future, and um that's where it was heading towards. And I, I really wanted to be there as early as possible to find a voice, that was for me like a place where I could actually express myself and uh, find something meaningful. I felt like the world around me, outside the Internet, kind of remained the same. Still, it's a very calm, not much happens in Bulyarmeni, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not many things come from Bulyarmeni. So it would pretty much be this natural beauty by itself all the time. Not much progress or change would occur and i saw it as like internet could be something that could get me out of here i yeah. I, I wasn't planning to become a fresh tennis player it was a dream for me it was an aspiration i wanted to make it big in tennis but i didn't know what I was capable of what i was what was going to happen in the future so i had many great ideas and i executed most of them i still have few uh, remaining uh, that i haven't really pursued but um i always wanted to get out of this town and explore further—that's why I like traveling so much. I, I, will, I want to visit LA back when I was ten years old. I wanted to go to LA and do uh, like I don't know, open businesses there or meet new people, do collabs. New York City, uh, Tokyo—you know—expand my yeah. that horizon. That, that was like that was the greatest achievement and the greatest accomplishment in my life, and still is up today. I live—I live up to this.
0: You, the greatest accomplishment was what you're saying: getting to travel. You think? Getting to travel, yeah, and yeah
1: also combine it with my work, like yeah. make, get paid to travel and meet new people and maybe also entertain with what I do. Yeah.
0: There you go. And that's right. what ultimately happened. Like I, I kind of like have been here with my tennis, you know, I, I think, I think what you're describing is not, doesn't sound, obviously I'm not, except for the elite athlete part It's not that different from, from me or a lot of other like tennis fans who sort of found, you know, a community or a connection online talking about tennis or whatever else they might be into that you know they might not have other people in their in their town or in their community or in their group of friends who they know in, in person who have, have all the same interests or the same passions as they do. Like growing up I didn't have other, you know, close friends who were big tennis fans and so I made connections with people when it came to talking about tennis on online on like message boards and whatever else. Even forums, before, right? So yeah, forums hmm. before social media even became a thing. Reddit. Yeah, wasn't well, it Reddit? Or something? Reddit wasn't even around. No, there was like a there was like a message board called talkabouttennis.com that I was like a member really? of in the early <laughs> days. Yeah, back when I was like in that's like around like oh five oh six, and they would have like Which prediction year contests. Two
1: thousand five.
0: Yeah, like 2006, thousand six two thousand like early days of when I was in college, and okay. yeah, and that was that was sort of more. So I, I was you know I'm yeah I don't know like ten years older than you basically. And what so. got
1: you into tennis? What were why were were you so obsessed with tennis?
0: I I don't know. I really I was I really liked watching tennis much more. I played I was played on like my high school team, but not not remarkably well. Um, and then I don't know something I really liked about my main sport that I played is I was actually good at was ice hockey. I was a goalie in ice That's hockey cool. for for ten years. Yeah, but in tennis, something about just like watching the the head to head battles, Battle. of it, the, in, the individual part of it, I really liked. I like to see the personalities of the sport. I became. A big fan of the williams sisters when they were first breaking on i remember that was one of the first tournaments i watched when venus williams made the finals of the us open when she was 17 and that mm-hmm. was um, in 1997 and that was like one of the first ones that i uh Round started breaking, getting into yeah. yeah and then i would go to the us open with my dad like uh for like the men's semifinal day and women's final day the saturday it used to be all one day yeah and and it was just something that i could click into and they showed all the matches on tv so, what was the
1: know. core that you first started playing tennis? What was the
0: <laughs> w- Cor- which which state? We don't. You don't have to. I live in Washington D.C., so I grew up here. Washington D.C. So that, yeah, that's a really yeah. nice place. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you've been here. Yeah, you've been, you've played the tournament I, here. I love it there. Yeah. I love it, Washington D.C. So, I played I played it like a public park with my dad. Although I remember, I when I was like ten, I hit a. Um, a drop shot and he hurt his knee running to get it. And I felt so bad. And he like never really played much after that. So that was sort of like the guilt <laughs> moment of my, of my tennis career, which hopefully you never had, because I know both your parents that played, but hopefully
1: you for the rest of your, uh, <laughs> hopefully,
0: hopefully you never uh, <laughs> injured your parents on the court uh, like that. No, but that was, uh, yeah, but I knew quickly that I wasn't going to be good. I'd, I had a couple friends who like played, you know, like division one college tennis who were on the team. I mean, in high school, but I knew I wasn't, I didn't put in the time to be that kind of, Good player at it. Not that I don't know if I had the you talent said, or not. You said you are from Washington D.C. Isn't yeah. Francis Tiafoe from Washington D.C. as well? He is. Yeah, yeah. He's from right outside D.C. He's from yeah, like yeah. basically like four miles from. from I
1: played. Me. I played in his club when I was a junior. There was an ITF junior
0: tournament there. Yeah, yeah. College Park. Yeah. I don't remember how they, College Park. That's it. That's yeah, that's yeah. where I played, and it's a
1: university next to it.
0: Mm-hmm. University Where's of Maryland. It? Yeah, Maryland. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I see that very well. We share a lot of the same good places time. here. Good times. Yeah. We're both podcasters. We've both been to College Park. You know, very, very similar. We career. understand each other's life in a
1: way. Yeah. I uh, I understand the life of a journalist. Uh, my mom was a journalist. She was very involved. And she uh, was also a commentator for uh, one of the biggest uh, Russian hmm. sports uh, networks. So she used to commentate matches here in the Australian Open late at night. Hmm. And from Moscow. I remember she had... she was. Leaving from time to time, uh, leaving us for a few days to go to Moscow to commentate and uh, do journalism. She was also a journalist at the Kremlin Cup. Mm-hmm. That's the first time when she met Marcus Baghdadis there. And okay. she I remember she told me that she told Marcus that there's this great kid uh, playing in Athens. And you very soon you'll be playing against him. But Marcus, we met a few years ago, he didn't believe that. You know. he said, like, OK, it's probably some random kid, you know, like he's never like going to make it really. Yeah, and now we're actually uh, yeah, we're very close friends. We know each other and uh, it's crazy how this story, you know, evolved. Yeah. And eventually we get we got to meet one another. But it was really
0: nice. Yeah. Do you think having having your mom be involved in that sort of part of the tennis world made you have a, a greater appreciation for the sort of storytelling side of the sport, which you seem to seem to show? I think it was pretty cool that I had
1: a mom who was uh, so heavily involved in tennis in, in her life. And she had great examples and also experience from it um, to pass on to her kids, not just me, but personally my siblings. Yeah. Also, it's it's even better to be honest that my dad was also part of it because I could have had just a mom who who, is, uh, who knows about tennis, but the dad who has no clue or is like, just clueless of what the sport is about. Its values and getting to interact with the sport, and I'm actually pretty feel great, pretty grateful that both of them were on the same page. Yeah. You know, um, they both taught tennis at this resort that I grew up at yeah, the Four Seasons, and now it's a Four Seasons. It's called Astir, Astir Four Seasons in Athens, and that was the, that. Was, these were the first courts that I uh, got to play at. It was a really nice memory. They uh, they worked very hard, my parents. Uh, very very hard and they were working so many hours per day and uh, after school i would just go and hang out with them and uh, play tennis with other kids i remember they had kids sometimes and that mm-hmm. would be really fun to to join them and compete against them i was very competitive since a very young age i yeah. hated losing it was mm-hmm. not in my nature like losing is not an option <laughs> and i still hate i still hate to lose but i i i meant i i manage losing uh better like more maturely and i just deal with it better what made you hate losing so much i just feel like losing doesn't let you progress it it kind of puts you in the same position and i love progress in my life i love i love accomplishing new things and it just i feel I, s- I feel so confident when i win i i feel i feel excited i just i just feel the the idea of winning, it, it's its great. It feels great in my mind. It sits very well. And I also feel like uh, winning is recognition. And it's just like, mm-hmm. I like i like recognition. I mean, who doesn't
0: like recognition for your
1: yeah. heavy work and for all the sacrifices that you have to make to, in order to win?
0: When I guess in, in tennis tour, the way it works, I mean, pretty much every player has to lose almost every week they play. I mean, only one player in a draw, in a single straw, or two players in a double straw get to be the champions in a week and end the week without losing. And so That's I guess it. sort of learning, learning how to lose or handle losing is a huge part of, of being a pro tennis player and playing that kind of schedule. Yeah. How have you, how have you gotten to be, to be better at that? Or is that still something you're, I guess not all losses are the same, but how are you, how are you? Uh, yeah. How have you learned how to, how to handle the setbacks or the losses or the disappointment, or whatever it is in, in your, this part of your career. I obviously let me get to that. I obviously like uh, I prefer
1: losing in a fight in a really tight fight, such as the match we played with Kyrgios in Washington D.C. last mm-hmm. year. That was very close. That was a loss. It was you know heartbreaking, but um, I came out of the court. I I knew I gave a hundred percent. There were there were zero regrets. I knew I tried my best. I broke a couple of shoelaces. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had Nick deliver the shoes straight to my, to my. So it was like a whole drama. It was it was a drama match. It was like there was a, lo- a lot going on, and it was too much for people to take in at some point. Uh, I mean, these kind of matches, yeah, they were. I I do appreciate them a lot because they helped me. They help me evolve. The the setbacks from um from losing. I mean, I've I've lost a lot of times in my life. I uh, had some bad losses, really bad losses from places I should have never lost. And that was in my early years. Uh, as I grew older, you know, I matured. I I saw life from maybe a different perspective, you know, uh, other values and everything. And, you know, tennis is great, but also other things in life. So it's also the, the, the mindset, the, the way you look at it. And uh, that helped me deal with the losses better. I saw losses. I actually took advantage of the losses and saw them as part of my uh, success and part of my mm-hmm. progress, I think. It's really important to 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 look at them with a with a positive eye. And uh, funny story: when I was really young and I was losing, I was just terrible at it. I would hide behind the car. I would just leave, run out of out of the court, take my bags, whatever rackets I had with me, and hide behind the cars in the parking lot. And I would refuse to. Just show up and uh meet my parents again <laughs> i I felt miserable and that changed over the years and I started dealing with it better and i think yeah it has hasn't happened recently, and i'm very glad it hasn't oh well, that's good <laughs> hey, what's what's what's
0: what's the worst you've you think you've is the dark topic what's the worst you think you've handled the losses as a pro what is your toughest loss in, in sort of a t p or grand slam level loss that's, that's a good question. Uh, toughest loss.
1: I would probably rate it as a, a very important tournament and a very important round. I wouldn't go for a, for a tournament that you know I I I was out in the first round because it doesn't have the same value. Doesn't share the same value. Um, a very important tournament. Well, I had a few Masters 1000 finals that I hmm. I didn't succeed in winning and it was it was it was painful you know it's it's a master's one thousand after all and it's it's a big thing to yeah. have a master's one thousand title but I never really came close that's the thing i i i never really wanted i think set there weren't any decisions that i i i should have taken a different way or a different direction I was very close to winning my first five hundred event in Beijing last year against dominic team i i mm-hmm. was a break uh, now i think I had a break point in as at four-all in the second set, I was set up four-all break corner on his serve, and I decided to step back and take the return a bit later, which uh ended in him serving volleying with a second serve and making a very good uh, uh half volley drop shot, which was quite remarkable. It came out of nowhere, but I feel like if I made other choices and have decided to do it a bit different, it would have resulted to 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 another outcome. So that was probably something that uh I look back to and have maybe few, few regrets. You know, first 500 event. It's 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 you gotta
0: start from somewhere. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting to me that you your sort of disappointments, I guess, come from the big occasions where you lose. Not like for some people it might be like losing first round of a Grand Slam and you expect that you can go far and to disappoint yourself yeah. against you know that. But for you it's when you're when you're close. I guess when you can. That's how you're processing that's, it. Yeah, yeah, that's the most painful one because you're. It's not so much about
1: um i wouldn't like you know the for example the nick curious match was painful but it was not that i really had i don't think i had match points did i have match points i i can't remember i don't remember it was a third set tiebreak in that match was it or seven five and the third it, was or thr- it was close it's a tie break yeah it also it also um depends i also think it depends on the quality of tennis you're playing that day if you feel like you're playing really good tennis it's a shame for it to go to waste and go out of a match and Know in the back of your head that you played unbelievably well and you also fought at the same uh, at the same time uh, very hard and played very brave tennis and you come out and you have a lost match which you don't really deserve to have and that was one, one of the occasions that i remember from beijing i did play very well that tactically strategic strategically i i executed my plan really well yeah there was just one point that i didn't manage to handle the right way. And I think there was a, a collapse after that six, one yeah. in the
0: third. You <laughs> mentioned Nick in Washington a couple of times, which reminds me that you guys play doubles there together too. And actually, I don't know if you knew this, but I think the idea for that doubles actually came from when Nick was on this podcast and he was talking about wanting to play doubles with you. And the tournament director from Washington, uh, Mark Ion was listening. And like this, I think he approached you two about playing doubles together. He like had the idea after hearing the podcast. And so it's coming full circle there that way that you're on here now too and then um, but I'm wondering like what was what is it what was it like getting to know Nick in that way because I know he, he I know he's a big fan of yours now how, how do you uh what has it been like getting to know Nick I know also you had like in your in I don't your... know
1: if you're still a fan after the, the stuff that I did to him doing
0: oh with his phone number <laughs> <laughs> he might be backing off <laughs> yeah that was cold the phone number thing Me? was cold
1: Yeah, it was, it was, but uh, he approved, so it wasn't as bad as it was. It wasn't. It didn't come unplanned, you know. Yeah, he signed the contract. (laughs) (laughs) No, Nick, Nick, he has been, uh, you know, he's the. I'll call him the black sheep of the ATP.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, He likes to do unpredictable stuff. He likes attention. I mean, let's not refuse that. Mm -hmm. And that's totally normal. That that there's nothing bad with it. He has his own personality, which stands out. People. Some people love it. Some people. I have a lot of people that hate it and don't understand it, and some people that are just like so much into it. I, I see it I I see it as something totally fine. I think our sports need our sport needs that. It's it's entertaining. It's you know, it's it's fun. It's something unique, special that not many people, not many players have. As long as he's not disrespectful, he might have been a few times, and that's not cool. But when mm-hmm. he's not, and he's in total respect of the game and does the right thing, uh, I think it's just like really fun to watch. I've I've known him I've known him for quite a bit. We've had our first hit in Boodles in 2014, I think. That's when I first met him, and uh, yeah, he was really impressed with my game. He even told me that during practice. It was a big compliment. I really uh, enjoyed hearing that. And uh, that was, after that, it was just elevation of my career. I couldn't lose a single match after after <laughs> what he told me. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm just kidding. No, 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 I'm obviously kidding. But um, uh, yeah, we, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we share a very close friendship, but he does FaceTime me from time to time in a completely like a random time. Hmm. could be like at one o'clock in the night. I don't get it, <laughs> but yeah, we, we might talk. From time to time not very often he uh he is just very hyperactive hates to lose trust me he just hates to lose i didn't expect it myself i didn't i didn't thought he would be that way we played doubles in washington dc he came out of the court so disappointed so frustrated
0: and i was in shock i i didn't know he would react to it that way and you guys played cabal and farah who were the wimbledon champs too i mean yeah i know I know, I know i know yeah, i know i know Huh.
1: But we put out a good fight. It yeah. was like a good night to remember. But then the next week we, <laughs> we were yeah. We next week we played them in Cincinnati again, which didn't really end up well. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't fun.
0: No, that was not fun. That was oh, like that's
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: they're pretty good. So you you talk about Nick taking losses hard. Who do you think takes losses the hardest in the ATP? Can you tell? Oh God, I don't know. Benoît. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty accurate, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, cert- in certain a certain way of kind certainly, of part, yeah. Certainly. Yeah. A certain way, for sure.
1: Um, I think also Rafael Nadal is losing. You can see that. You can see that. Yeah. All the top guys, I think all the top guys. But the one that stands out is Rafael Nadal
0: and maybe Novak Djokovic, I think as well. Hmm. And Andy Murray. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Speaking of other guys, you were practicing. You had to pick a practice partner for this whole two-week session that you have in uh, in Melbourne, and you picked uh, Mikhail Emer as as your guy uh, for these uh, two weeks. How did How did you decide to to choose him as your partner? Is there something wrong with it? No, no I'm just curious. <laughs> I, I, I
1: do you think? There's, oh, Mike. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mike. I just I was very interested in learning Swedish, and oh, I sure. thought okay. who is the best Swedish tennis player out there, okay. and okay. Uh, it was Michael Emer. Yeah. So, uh, I've been learning Swedish. I've been progressing a lot. Um, I'm almost fluent after two weeks, uh, here in Sure. Sure. I've been helping. (laughs) Uh, that's, that's not the case. I think my dad picked him up. I don't know what it was, the selection format, but yeah, my coach decided on that. I was totally cool with it. I was actually happy with it because, um, I didn't know 98 player uh I, need, I didn't know 98 uh, 98 born players existed on the ATP hmm. and uh, apparently they do they do and it includes Michael Emer, which uh yeah which is uh, part of the gang 98 gang <laughs> and uh I know him forever I know him since we were kids played together on the on the tennis europe and ITF junior circuit so we uh have a lot uh, in common he's a very good uh, hitting partner actually very yeah. very good hitting partner very nice guy too he is an um, seek of advice for me and I, i'm you know trying to learn from him as well there's a lot of, there are a lot of commonalities and i i enjoy i enjoy spending my time hitting with him and outside the court as well he he's a really nice guy well
0: cool. you you went you were on the i guess the junior circuit together you mentioned about being 98s together like what is looking back at juniors and you were junior number one also like as was your mom so that's a good that's a good uh piece of trivia there i think you might probably the only parent and and kid who are both number ones and juniors yeah what what is what was that world like was that an, an easy place to be as a as a kid was it fun was it stressful was it the junior days yeah the junior yeah the junior circuit that as you're playing it how, how do you look back on that now with a little bit of time since you finished your junior days what do you how do you see that that world I see it as a very small world. It was uh, very limited when it
1: came to juniors, you know. I don't know. I just, when I transitioned from juniors to pro, that's when I realized just how much difference there is in tennis in general. Mm -hmm. And it took a while for me to adapt. It it takes time to adjust to this. Uh, It's it's uncommon to see someone transition from juniors to pro and start winning 250s and 500s in less than a year. So it took time, you know, I was playing Futures. I think the fact that I also played Futures at a very young phase of my career, being on the ITF junior circuit, that helped a lot with the transitioning. I I know some players that I played juniors with started Futures later, after the junior years, which ended up for them wasting more time on transitioning. So I'm really grateful for that. And that's also uh, because of my dad, who who took these right decisions and... um, put me in futures very early but the junior years uh well the quality was you know not the same (laughs) yeah i was ranked number one in juniors i played with most of the guys few of us made it to to the top 100 um i remember playing with hugo amber as well as well and i played him in paris uh, last year Mm -hmm. he improved tremendously i can say francis diafo (laughs) who was also born 98 he played a little bit in juniors. He kind of uh, left quite early from juniors yeah. after winning the Orange Bowl, I remember. So he didn't really spend much time there, which I think was good for him. Junior years were, were tough. They were stressful. I, I tell you that. They were very stressful in, um, you know, wanting to get sponsors, obviously. You know, my uh, my parents struggled struggled a lot to uh, financially to support them in this. It's not easy for yeah. any parent. And I think the ITF organization should be also more involved in helping um, undeveloped countries, which they have been doing in recent years. And back in the years when I played, I think they've been doing well, but uh, there's huge potential in Africa, I think on developing Africa is the youngest continent in the world. Mm -hmm. It is the youngest continent in the world. And there are so many talented young kids out there that want to pursue a career in tennis and, Want to achieve great things in the field of tennis, and I think they—they have to be granted. They have to be given an opportunity to be able to uh, accomplish their dreams. You know, some of them want to become professional tennis players, but they don't, their federation, their country doesn't. Their parents—they don't have enough funds to support this dream, and yeah. it's really sad, saddening to see that go away. I, I really want to work on the project, on a project in the future where I uh, contribute to that because it—it it will, it's. Trust me, it's going to make miracles. Mm.
0: I have a feeling. Uh, I have a gut feeling for it. That'd be great. Yeah. No, I've written stories about a few of the African players who are coming up. I wrote a story about a girl from Burundi, who's, uh, yeah. who's a who's a junior seated at Grand Slams and stuff. I think eventually. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of potential there for sure.
1: Tennis requires tennis requires money. It's one of the sports, such as golf, where you need to invest to potentially get something in return. You know, yeah. it's federations are not really supporting unless you are part of a bigger federation as the American one, the Canadian one, the Australian one, the French one. There's not, you know, in undeveloped small countries such as Greece or Cyprus or Iran or could be Oman, you know, there's no, there's no structure when it comes to tennis. And uh, it's, it's very um, rare that you see federations invest in players and i think it should, shouldn't really depend on federation it should just there should be an organization that provides all these necessities to yeah. kids with trees
0: you mentioned oman which is one of the places you've i know you've traveled to during the off season after last season or the season before i guess you are somebody who always you know you through your vlog it's pretty clear that you've someone who found a lot of learning or a lot of meaning or a lot of, uh, self-discovery even through, through traveling and through exploring and, and seeing the world and meeting people and going new places and trying new things and stuff. And I'm wondering just how difficult it's been for you over this, you know, during the pandemic to have that stop pretty much to have, to be in a situation where you're, you're just staying in one place when, even when you do travel for, for tournaments and stuff, you really can't go explore and, and see and feel a place like you used to. How is, how is that? How has that been for you over this uh, last like eleven? I remember
1: now? when the quarantine. I remember when the the pandemic started. I I couldn't take it seriously. I I I remember texting a few friends. I thought they were telling me that Indian Wells is going to be canceled, and I was texting them back, telling them there's no way Indian Wells is ever going to be canceled because of the pandemic. This is not such a big issue. Everything is going to be to flow normally, and yeah. I was in shock when the whole world just stopped working because of it. Uh, it came unexpected, completely unexpected. I remember traveling to Manila, the Philippines, to play the Davis Cup tie against the Philippines um, in their uh, in their place. I remember going for the Davis Cup tie there, and uh, it all seemed normal. All, 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 everything was uh, functioning the, the same normal way, and yeah, suddenly everything stopped and it And I had plans of traveling. I thought, you know, it's not a big deal, I can just now I have the opportunity to go to all the places I always wanted to go, I had like a planned trip to Rio de Janeiro, thinking mm. that the quarantine thing would be like a vacation which, uh, for which I was totally wrong, it's uh, it actually was quite serious and uh, very severe, so yeah packed my bags and went back home and uh, first few uh, weeks were alright, then it started kicking in, you know, that's that loneliness and wanting to do something else, meet few people, or missing it—like even missing the ATP tour—I never, mm-hmm. <laughs> I never thought about it. But uh, yeah, it's—I I miss competition. I miss traveling to play and compete, and the adrenaline on the court, and just this excitement of having, having to compete and perform, which uh, eventually came back in September. Yeah. But also um, the UTS, which gave us uh, so much tennis. All right, we're talking, that, with, yeah, yeah. That was really fun. I I can tell you, that was really fun. We had a, what a great time playing that uh, four month. And it also kept me active. It kept me playing, which was uh, nice. And uh, so much physical effort, so much uh, fitness and preparation going into that. Traveling was, um, I always try to tried like to, to find different secret ways of traveling, but it all eventually got uh, canceled.
0: <laughs> you you got to follow the rules. You cannot
1: play against the rules.
0: Yeah. You were still trying to travel, I guess, during the during last, I guess, summer and stuff. You're still trying to find ways you're saying?
1: No, when uh, when the uh, lockdown got a little less strict, I uh, after the UTS. Yeah, I took my friends and we went to Mykonos, Greece for mm-hmm. a few days, which was a uh, a big relief, I would say, I would call it, it was nice. It was uh, very relaxing. Well, we were all we were at the Villa and uh, had a nice couple of days, you know, just enjoying the sun, enjoying being together, enjoying, enjoying like,
0: intimacy closeness with other people, you know, it's it's really nice. Yeah, I mentioned before when some of the travel, how you sort of seem like you're learning and growing from from all these experiences of travel stuff, were there things that you were able to sort of learn and grow about yourself or about understand the world better from being in one place at the same time for a long time that was sort of a different sort of opportunity for for growth or development that was maybe more internally based than than external yes there were many moments like this
1: i remember when i first like when i first started receiving hate back in 2017 at the miami open i think I don't really remember the year, but it was the the year I played Medvedev. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, that incident happened in the, in the tournament, which there was nothing wrong that I had against him. I was just very frustrated that he treated me the way he treated me in the match. And I never had an outburst. i never I never complained. Uh, no, I never complained towards my opponents and yeah. felt so much infuriated and with so much hate towards someone it all got reversed and turned, uh, all the hate turned into me. All the people were, uh, against me. All the people were judging me, uh, sending me threatening messages, which I didn't really understand why hmm. I felt very sad because I didn't feel like I belonged there. And, um, yeah, very sad, you know, like obviously I lost and, if like on on top, I received that and it made made things even worse. And I I was back then. I was really emotional. <laughs> uh, through the years, I developed that and tried to you know just like um, block that away whenever I have to. But I remember I took that trip by myself to the Caribbean Islands in uh, British uh, Virgin Islands, BVI, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like a moment for me to reflect and move on stronger. <clears throat> and I think that trip helped me a lot uh, spiritually. It was good for the soul. It was it was good for the soul. I started clay season very well. It was a few weeks later that I I was uh, in my first uh, ATP final, I think, in Barcelona playing mm-hmm. Nadal. So um, yeah, it was pretty it was pretty funny because the week before I played in Monte Carlo and told my friend Victor that if I win Barcelona, mm-hmm. I'm gonna shave my head. Which <laughs> <laughs> I got lucky. I got really lucky with. Because he came all the way he traveled all the way to Barcelona to witness that, but it didn't happen. <laughs> but it wouldn't be bad playing yeah. Nadal in the final. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's pretty good. You're you mentioned the the Medvedev match in, in Miami and I guess the sort of which was sort of a match the ending of that match especially I guess went sort of viral in terms of well, like Tennis Twitter and the, the video the handshake and him saying his uh his weird shut your fuck up yeah. phrase. In which was interesting grammar from him, but it was it was unique. That felt
1: that felt very wrong. I that felt very wrong. Not not the not not his comments or whatever he had to say, but just the overall, the overall uh, um ambience. Yeah, yeah. I I guess what seeing being on that. side... It doesn't belong to tennis. It didn't
0: belong to tennis for sure. I tell you that. Being, seeing be, that, yeah, yeah. Being on that side of of having that experience, that moment, did it make you see? tennis differently or just sort of, or, or, ten, or the internet differently after all this, you know, putting what you think is, you know, positivity out into the world and suddenly get all this negative energy directed at you um, because of a, you know, 30 second video, basically, of a match most people didn't even see probably. It felt like an
1: MMA fight. I mean, we're out there playing tennis, you know, so we're yeah. not there to fight each other. He, he was, uh, you know, provoking me back then. I, that's how I felt. Maybe I'm wrong, but... No. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to continue from there, because he was trying to approach me. I was not into it. I wasn't there to fight. I was there to play tennis, and that's the last thing that I want when I enter court. <laughs> I, I just need to do my job and respect my opponent and do things as they are meant to be done. You know, I don't want to go against any rules. So um, of course there, we have rules, and rules are for society to be balanced and normal. <laughs> Otherwise. Everyone would do whatever they wanted and whenever they wanted. So uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a, a first timer for me. It just in general felt very wrong, and I would I never tried replicating that. Not that it was my intention, but yeah. I never tried to get in that situation again. Sometimes it's just better to just shut your mouth and you know not say anything. Just focus on yourself. I yeah. think. And not fight back. Sometimes it's good not to fight back. Just yeah. let it be.
0: You've you've obviously seen Mebdev a bunch since then. You both become top ten players now for the last couple years. After that, how is your sort of? Have you talked to him about that? how's your relationship with him? We so,
1: haven't really spoken about it.
0: I saw I saw him waving
1: at me the other day, which was nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of uh, breaks breaks the ties. Uh, um. Is that how you say it? Break the break, break the, break, time, the right? break the ice? Break the ice. Break the ice. No, yeah. Break the ice. Break the ice. Breaks yeah. the ice. Yeah. No, our relationship. Our relationship is pretty okay. I don't have any hate towards him. I don't know. I don't think he has hate towards me. Uh, he's a competitor. He's someone I'm competing against. And uh, whenever I go out on the court and try and like beat him, you know, that, that's yeah. how what what I do with every single player I play against. And uh, he's obviously he has great potential and yeah, he has proved himself many times um at the us open and many other tournaments that he did well or the need to finals recently so uh yeah he's a very difficult opponent to play against just great baseliner and um i think he also just like a very easygoing person i don't i don't find anything
0: wrong uh mm-hmm. i don't see anything wrong with him you know good you're you're ne- you during this i have been cut this out probably but petros called briefly during while we were recording this your phone and your next tournament is going to, your next event is the ATP cup, uh, where you're going to be playing. You, you brought Greece to the ATP cup again with your ranking, uh, Petros will be on the team again. I guess your dad is going to be the captain again also. Yes. Having, and you mentioned this before with your family, obviously your parents both being coaches and stuff, but having your family so closely connected to your, to your sport, which you spend so much time in does every time you're on a tennis court feel like some sort of extension of your, your family life in some way. Is there a a separation is there? How do you, how do you sort of keep those those two things those parts of your life, you know, together or or or, dis, or separate or distinct?
1: I am most likely to describe it as an extension. Yeah, yeah, it kind of extends to something more meaningful than, obviously, our life, which is already a big thing. It's a big blessing, but uh, this is an extension to our life, and it unites us. It brings us together, the whole family. And the fact that we are able to be so many city passes in the ATP Cup mm-hmm. makes it very special. My dad included, obviously my brother, and very soon I hope my third brother Pavlos. That would be that would be an amazing uh, city pass team to have. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I could inc- I I wish I could include my sister Elisabeth, but. Uh, Unfortunately, it's not next competition.
0: No, you need to bring back Hotman Cup to get her in there. Hopman Cup, if it comes back. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. You have having all your siblings play. You know, it's tough. This is maybe more a question for Petros, but I'm curious what you think as a as an older sibling too. It's got to be tough for for him for Petros, especially being the the closest one in age, but also the other ones too, to sort of have this expectation. Because uh, with your success, you're setting a very high bar for, you know, what a Sipsipas can achieve in tennis. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And that, that can't be easy to have that be the sort of expectation as a younger sibling and have people and Petro's just playing like a Futures or something. To have people see him as being—I don't know—have sort of a, a target on him or something. If they say like, "Oh, I get to beat Sitsipas's brother," it's like I beat the number, you know, five player in the world or whatever, which is which is not really fair to him. But uh, what? How do you see that in terms of the having all your siblings playing and coming up behind you, but also trying to I guess, make sure they can have their own their image, own journey, their own journey, their own image, their own journeys, their own lives separate from from just being in your shadow all the time. You know, I'm not as I'm not
1: the second or third or fourth child in the family so i can really say yeah i'm the first one i'm trying to set an example i'm trying to lead the way and each one of them has their own journey as you said Uh, it's important to understand that each one of them will develop a different personality and i can see that in all of them they're all unique to me and i love them equally all of them and i try to To support them as much as possible whenever they need help they can just come to me and whether it's life advice or tennis advice or uh, filmmaking advice or any advice (laughs) or relationship advice i'm there to help them and i feel blessed and also it's it's just you know it's 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 an incredible thing to have them all together we can all be in the same environment and it's just it's it's a wonderful thing my family is involved they're involved Tennis is our jam. Tennis is our thing. We are vibing, <laughs> and um, it's uh, it's important to me because um uh, because uh, we get to do what we love. We are none of us are is forced into it. Many people think you know okay the whole family is playing. That's just because they're forced into it. No, no one's forced into it. My my sister, my brothers, they they did did what they did other things too uh, when they were younger, and they chose to to follow tennis. It was their decision. And it was my decision as well. So, uh, given this fact, you know, it's we are adding to the journey every single day, and uh, I see this as an opportunity to put uh, Greece in the map—not just me, but them mm-hmm. as well. They have—they will have their own individual impact to to society and to tennis in Greece. Tennis in Greece needs needs to be uh, developed for sure, and uh, that's our opportunity to do so and show the world that a family can can make a difference potentially yeah why not yeah it can add it can add to a sport it can add to just inspiring kids in general through through media through it's it's an incredible uh, story to yeah. to be sharing i think and uh, i'm very lucky and and glad that uh, i get to be part of this because not not many players on the tour are part of this and it yeah. feels it feels very uh, very um, yeah, special to me.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people connect to those family stories. I mentioned obviously when I was first becoming a fan it was of the Williams sisters and they had a their dad was big involved in their sort of whole story of coming up together as a sort of group of outsiders coming into the sport, I think, was something that made a big impact on a lot of people and brought a lot of people into the sport too. And they're making a movie about the family coming out this year. I don't know if you knew that.
1: But what they did is incredible. They yeah. they started from bottom and they became the the, the William sisters that they are today up yeah. to this day they, with uh, with a father that didn't really have much knowledge in tennis he started from zero right. as well and he taught himself you know uh, how to how to how to understand and how to teach the sport better which was very inspiring that a man like him pulled this through and uh, managed to like develop and create such champions as them they're they're inspiring sorry they're probably one of the most unique, most inspiring stories in tennis. Up to this day, that's my personal view and opinion. Yeah. What what this meant did is
0: out of the charts. That's all the positive side of it. I'm just curious. Also, when you're on tour with them constantly and always around, or often always around your parents too, how much is it important for you to keep some sort of I don't know distance or separation between the roles and have some some space for yourself? Like I know, like I noticed in your vlog and Usha too. Like yeah, privacy too, and just being. I, like for example this week you're not staying in the same like hotel suite as your parents they have their own or i, mean, I don't know if your mom is even in australia but um, no, she's not. yeah having some space there get, having your own you know not having every meal with them or not living with them constantly or whatever how do you how do you balance trying to have some independence with also having them uh close by and is that tricky you know it also now I'm in a certain phase of my
1: life where I get to decide whenever I want to be with them, whenever I, whenever I feel like I miss them, I want to be and spend time with them. Mm-hmm. My father is a huge important role in my life, and that's why I choose for him to be out there in the court with me. Otherwise, I would have you know kicked him out a long time ago, which I don't <laughs> want to. And uh, uh, I want him to be sharing that journey. I want to be sharing the journey with him and be part of it. So um, outside of tennis, I I try and hang out with them as much sometimes I feel like you know i I need some privacy and sometimes uh just me alone or me and my friends or me and my siblings I would just love to go on a trip take my sister and go on an exclusive trip with her. I've said that to to my dad many times it hasn't happened yet, but uh I would love to go like have some alone time with them and just you know share some moments of my life with them exclusively, which uh we didn't really have the opportunity to do so yet. Yeah, but it's getting there. It's getting there, and uh, my parents—they understand. They know I'm an adult now. You know, I take my own decisions. I, I get to decide and make the calls for my life, and they're there to support me. That's what a good parent would do, and uh, that's the, that's the good thing to do. And uh, they completely understand. They, they just—they just want the best for me, and mm-hmm. they don't want to mess. Not, they don't—they don't want to be around too much because they know that it might get you know toxic. You know, it's it's normal. Mm-hmm. If if they're too much around, it's anything with life you have to keep a balance. Like if you reach the extremes,
0: it can get to a red zone. Hmm. Your mom's not there, like you said. She's often been there and traveling more. And I guess it's obviously much tougher to do during this time with the quarantine and the everything. To have more people coming and be stuck in a hotel room uh, for two weeks and everything like this. I'm just curious for for your just enjoyment of your your job and your your craft and competing and seeing the world and stuff how different this this 11 months has been? Because the tour is back. You're still, on some level, still doing your job, still training sure, pretty much as much as you were before. I imagine um, still a comp- similar number of tournaments you played once the season got going. You played a pretty full schedule uh, last year. But does it feel, is it a different sort of just vibe, I guess? Because you're somebody who, again, drew off so much off of the, the travel, off of the, I think, entertaining people or connecting with people. To do this sort of in, in a bit more isolation, even while while traveling, what is what has that been, been like for you? How tough has that been?
1: I've I've dealt with it pretty okay. I've tried to eliminate people. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. know right now it's not the right moment to have people around, and some you know it takes time to adjust. I I'll be talking about adjustment because it's uh, the number one thing uh, that makes human survive. Well, we're not so much about survival right now because we you know we're living in a civilized mm-hmm. and very well controlled world but adjustment is key adjustment is very important at first it was very difficult it would just felt it it didn't feel natural but then eventually you do get get to understand what's going on and you know it, you get used to it uh right now i'm, I'm glad that they i mean australia yeah. like australia <laughs> is a pretty big deal for me if they would have kept all the fans away it will be it would have been a huge bummer and I'm happy they didn't and they let mm-hmm. people come in at least 75 yeah. percent of them which is still which is still very good but that uh, that change was um, it, it had me thinking you know like it would have been like better if if they wouldn't have made it in the first place they need to finals few uh, months ago was it felt didn't yeah. feel uh, didn't, didn't feel at home you know people people sometimes you feel bigger connection to an event and that's all because of the ambience and the vibe that you get from it which comes from people and uh this year nito was empty and it felt like a zombie arena honestly which uh, wasn't a pleasant nice experience but every player had to deal with it and it didn't affect me i think but uh it was it was just sad to be playing in front of no crown that's what i was fighting for the entire year to be able to make it there and get the same energy I got last year and it, it this this event means a lot to me it means a lot I think it's uh underestimated as an event I think it deserves more more attention yeah, and yeah. more uh it's almost as a fifth Grand Slam it uh, it, it deserves it, it deserves coverage and um it's an important event get the eight they get to compete against each other and we don't see that every you know, on every tournament it it just happens once during it. it's a one it's a one thing right, occurrence yeah.
0: That's a very unique thing. One time sure. occurrence. And it used to I think it used to even back when it first started, it used to be considered like more in line with the Grand Slams or even I know for some years when Australia and a lot of players didn't go to Australia and the French Open was smaller sometimes, especially for the women, I think. They like the year end championships was like the third biggest or fourth biggest tournament of the year. It was much more a big thing and sort of lost that a little bit in the just in the conversation
1: it all starts to level up like getting to get to the same level i see the Mm -hmm. french oh yeah have done massive improvements uh, with their venue the development of the tournament so that's really nice to see us open also have been uh, adding a few things uh australian open it's 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 the happy slam i always feel happy when i'm here it always feels i I feel such a a warm welcome here it's it's the aussie summer i mean weather's always good <laughs> oh, make sure don't not to forget to wear your sunscreen otherwise yeah. you are cooked and fried for the for the day but despite the despite this thing despite this it's still a very enjoyable tournament to play yeah uh, you got a good view out have, of your, no of your window bar behind me it's really nice <laughs> um you get you get you get melbourne city which is is it is an exceptional place and uh it's such a multicultural place. It's, it's, it's one of the best cities in the world. My, my personal opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I miss it for sure. Not being there this year or the first time in a, a lot of years. I also,
1: I also, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of New York city. I love New York city. It's, it's my thing. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know what about New York city, but I feel like it's, it's, it's the center of opportunities. That's that's where all opportunities come to be. Okay.
0: Yeah. Speaking of opportunities, you have this opportunity now as a burgeoning uh, musician. Uh, your first, at least, public forays into this music making. Where, where did this come from? What's your motivation? I mean, I'll, I'll play some of the, I'll some clips of the songs in here. Um, but what? There's what motivation? Yeah. But what is your what is has been your what has been your inspiration for for the music? And because people haven't heard it yet, they will hear it now. But like. Uh, the first one I think has like a bunch of clips from which my friend Reem, who I know you talked to you recently, recognizes being from Pride and Prejudice. Some of the the dialogue from Pride and Prejudice. Yes. What what made you what made you inspired to do that? It's not what I would guess that you would do, but what what's been your sort of your your inspiration for your your music?
1: I try and take uh, dialogues or movie scenes from romantic dramas or romantic comedies or any movie that draws some kind of a emotion and i'm a very emotional guy i feel nostalgia of the past all the time i just i just remember think of the past and you know my past is filled with very positive very uh, beautiful memories and i want to express those memories and i, I create music instead to to uh, to express myself and to create beats and titles that are just Something that uh, was a huge part of my past. Music is entirely dedicated to the past. Uh, these are all experiences that occurred and I want them to be remembered and uh, it all goes through music. Uh, for example, one of my songs, My Affection For You is inspired by New York City. And hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's a love
0: story. <laughs> They're all they're all pretty much about love. I think
1: it's it's the strongest
0: uh, feeling in the world. That's something I was going to ask in, in terms of because the you in the title. I was wondering who the you the U is. The U is New York City. You're saying yes, affection for you, New York City. Okay, Steph. Thank you very much for for being up for doing the podcast. Are you you're still are you still podcasting? it's sort of I'm trying to do. I'd like when...
1: break from it. I don't have yeah. the right equipment. <laughs> it's not a good excuse. You should always be creating despite your equipment. But yeah. I prefer my podcast to have, like, a good quality um, sound. Uh, I think that's a huge top priority to have. Just good sound, good for the listener, of course. And I prioritize that. It's all about quality. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah.
0: The rest comes equip- come second. You're a big equipment guy. There's a big camera store in Melbourne I've been to before. I don't know if you've been to the one in Melbourne. Yes. It's called... That is uh, right. I think it's called Michaels or something yeah or, or maybe this one with initials in it i forgot i can look it up after i forget it's like a yellow and red sign i know that yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's
1: yeah, the one uh, I, I, I do cam...
0: prefer bnh in new york city more it's one of yeah. my favorite places to go i rented it's... a camera there once when i was doing i uh, starting a fantasy tennis website and rented a camera and took photos of okay. all the players in, in qualies in nice. uh, like 2016 they didn't have photos of for the for the site that was a big my biggest photo project uh okay, in my, nice in my time but uh yeah, but thank you very much for for being up for this. Uh, any anything else that you're working on in terms of your your creative output that we'll see before uh, the what open, let's the say something that we'll see the light soon, um,
1: or not, or some longer term projects. I'm working. I'm working on a few projects that just require more um, perfectionism and attention to detail. But these are like huge projects. Okay. Not not so much digitally. More like yeah, you'll see in, in the future okay we'll see it in one two years it, it requires time
0: a potentially
1: okay. i'm giving you hints it, it's a company i'm i'm i'm, I'm okay. really interested in, in creating a company so that's going to take some time yeah. but uh i i'm uh, i'm optimistic about
0: it and hopefully we'll see you in uh, racket magazine sometime before that at least sure i hope again i would love that thank yeah. you thank you ben no worries thank you steph for being here and uh for taking this time have a good uh rest your time. Good luck in Melbourne. Have a good night. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah, so thank you very much to Stefanos Tsitsipas for his time and his openness with us on the show today. Really appreciate it. I have wanted to get him on for a long time and very glad that I was able to do so today. You can follow his creative endeavors on his YouTube channel and on his Instagrams, including Steve the Hawk, link to those in and SoundCloud. We'll link to all that in the uh, episode description and to some of his SoundCloud music, as mentioned before, we'll use as the outro for this episode. But before we do that, thank you guys for listening as well. Thank you for your support of the show. If you want to follow along when you're not listening, easy way to do that is on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. You can also support us on Patreon. And actually pretty soon coming up we're doing a live Twitch stream. Courtney and I are doing with our Patreon backers, sort of a happy hour to celebrate our one year anniversary on patreon and all the support we've gotten from you guys so if you want to join in on that that's just for patreon backers support us on patreon as lots of people have done including two people since our last episode who bumped up their patreon pledges to a higher level they are harish and philip bush so thank you to both of them and thank you to our slam champ backers we thank every episode liz kennel jonathan weinbaum mary carillo Leia williams betty audrey wellens sean Mulroy, Anna Valinder, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, Antonio Maycumber, and our goat backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O. Here is some of the smooth sounds of Stefano Sitsipas to play us out with some pride and prejudice. Bye, guys. You are too generous to travel with me. I believe you spoke with my aunt last night and it has taught me to hope as I'd scarcely allowed myself before. Mm-hmm. If your feelings are still what they were last April, tell me so
1: at once. My affection for wishes are.